I'm Emily Kyle and this is Local. This is a conversation with multidisciplinary artist Tim Code. Tim is currently situated in South Australia, exploring anything and everything that needs to be explored. Tim and I recorded this episode while he was with Caitlin in Queenstown visiting family. I had a terrible cold, but the conversation was lovely. Um, so we met last year in October during the conglomerate show, which was delightful. Mm. Uh, but we didn't get to talk for very long. I guess, you know, the nature of the show at that point. Yeah. Uh, so let's start at the beginning of you. Do you want to maybe talk a bit about your family and where you grew up? I grew up in on the eastern shore of Hobart, down near Druthy Point. So Tasmanian born and bred. Yeah, Tasmanian born and bred. So Druthy Point, like, looks, it's directly opposite sort of Taruna, if you know where that is. But yeah, but it's quite a nice area. But it's changed heaps since I've been growing up there. Like since I was there, um, I remember when we were kids, it sort of backs onto this big, big farm, and there used to be cows and sh- like sheep on the on the back lawn when you wake up in the morning. Oh, that sounds picturesque. Yeah, but um, but then as but then very very quickly, uh, lots of it got sort of divided up into new into new blocks and now there's just heaps of houses around us. Are they close together? Um, no, it's kind of just heaps of just big blocks and new homeowners and um, with good views, but the, the actual feeling of the place has changed a lot Ooh. since what I remember it. But we've still got the, the waterfront and the... Uh, the walking trails along the Derwent and all that. Wow. Mm. And I was talking to, I don't know if you met um, Paul Eggins last year. Mm. He um, is, he bought a block of land in Beechford and he was saying what he loved about it was this all of this sprawling bush space Yeah. and then also being right on the water. So it sounds like yeah. maybe it had that kind of feel of this new development. Yeah, it's still got a great feeling to it. It's a really great area because you can just duck up into the into the hills if you ask the farmer first because it's kind of like it's a private property but you can, once you get up on top of the hill, you can see way out to um, like the Iron Pot. You can see Brittany Island. You can see um, way out across to Frederick Henry Bay and Ralph's Bay. And wow. It's a really, really cool spot, but um, I'm a bit scared that it's all going to turn into suburbia. But yeah. but I think there's a rule that they're not allowed to 
build past a certain point. So that, that's good. Thank goodness for rules. <laughs> yeah. But. What was it like, you know, growing up in this really free, open area with um, two older brothers? Did you adventure uh, a lot? Yeah. I mean, firstly, I'm super, super like lucky to be able to to have had that that upbringing. It was in very cool place to grow up. And, yeah, I remember with the brothers we always had, like, n- like neighbourhood kind of groups and we had a couple of mates down the road and we'd all ride our bikes around or build little jumps or something and take our bikes off some jumps and that was a, a lot of fun. Our next-door neighbour, they, um, they had a half pipe at their house. <laughs> really? But I wasn't actually allowed to use it but my older brother could use it. So that was oh, a, a bit unfair. But, yeah, but that's what happens when you're the baby, I think. Is. Yeah. I wasn't cool enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about your yeah. um, What about your parents? What, what are your parents like? They're great. My parents are awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my mum's a, uh, a kindergarten teacher and my dad's a retired police officer. Wow. Yeah. That just sounds, you know, something right out of Neighbours if Neighbours wasn't yeah. dramatic. It yeah. sounds like this really beautiful family unit. Super wholesome. Yeah. Yes, wholesome. No, I've, I've had a, a very, um, very nice and stable upbringing. It's been really nice. Stability is seriously underrated. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think yeah. especially as... Um, as creatives, there's this very old and still intact notion that there must be a series of disruptive moments to mm. get the creative juices flowing. Yeah, I know what you mean. You kind of, um, like, you wonder maybe, yeah, maybe I've, um, it's all been a bit too easy. You know, I don't have anything deep and traumatic to work from. I, you know, I, I think conversely... Perhaps the stability has given you um, the yeah. kind of insight and no, freedom to be able to clearly see yeah. things. Yeah, and I've had really great, really great parenting. I remember used to um, do lots of walking with my mum, especially. We um, oh. and we'd sort of tell tell stories as we'd walk around, and that's another thing about growing up down by the beach, like. You know, we'd go walking and pick up a shell or go looking for crabs or find a feather or something and we'd always try to put a bit of a story and imagine imagination to it, even since just a little a little kid, which was quite nice. So Are there any of these made-up stories that you can recall? No. No. I, I can't actually recall. Just the feeling of yeah, creating just, the narrative. Yeah, exactly. I think that 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 was kind of um, embraced with me a bit because my, my older brothers are a lot more mathematical and scientific and they also did lots of kind of um, counting and like counting games and, you know, like if I had, if I had this many, you know, oh. ice creams and you took <laughs> two away, you know what I mean, like how many do I have left? And Whereas I think they fostered my creativity a bit more mm. which is pretty nice because we all turned out to be very very different but but also very similar but really it sounds like your parents were able to understand 
you will. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's something that can be quite rare is um, getting to know your child as as their own person instead of putting the the parents' ideas or expectations onto them, sort of this superimposed image. Mm. Your parents say, okay, so let's let's figure out who Tim is. Yeah. He'll let us know who he is. Yeah. And I think that mum was especially good at that because of her um, experience with working with uh, with children in, in schools. She thinks she kind of knew how to how to not over over parent. She kind of let us figure out our own answers and but also encouraged what we were good at. So now was, now was, yeah. well, well done, Mama Code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um you're here in Queenstown now, uh with your is your whole family here or just your brothers? Um, so my mum and my dad and my two brothers and all of our um all the girlfriends. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so so there was eight of us. So yeah, there was um all the boys, all the girls and the parents. Amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's actually the first time that I can even think of that we've all had a a, a partner at the one time. So you all come together it's in all Queenstown. Just, <laughs> all just aligned pretty nice cuz cuz my brother lives um in Melbourne. And he lives there with his partner and so they came down to Tassie for the weekend and it was really nice to all be together. It's nice that that can happen again now. For a minute there it felt like Melbourne was a million miles away. Yeah, I know. Just And now you can just pop over to Tassie for the weekend. Yeah, it's, it's kind of just like just like the old days, isn't it? Yeah. That's a but with a whole new appreciation for it again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The last time you were here, um, I, I, you were the second person that I sat down with and I remember at that time thinking, oh, there's so much more that we could be talking about going in so many different directions. Mm. The one thing that sticks out the most to me um, was the show that was upcoming that's um, finished now, but mm. the with your incredible machine. Yeah, um, yeah, that that ended up being really cool. Because um, yeah, when I chatted to you last, I we, we were working towards the exhibition. I think it was about a week away, and I might have been up in Queenstown, being a bit a bit stressed maybe because I knew I had to get back and and get it all all you know polished off. Mm. But it turned out really nicely. Um, so there was a, so that one was a drawing machine that was exhibited with the support of Contemporary Art Tasmania, their um, their Cobra program, which was an emerging artist grant where they supported you to um, p- put on an exhibition, but under That's a very fantastic. yeah, but under a really quick time frame as well. Like it was Ooh. a really quick turnaround. Yeah, but that was really amazing, um, very helpful. Um, but that machine was exhibited underground underneath Hobart Town Hall. I saw some of the photographs. It was a show that I, I personally really wanted to get to, mm. but oh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't able to, but I did see the photographs and thought, wow, that, oh. that entire space yeah. was 
unbelievable. It, it looked was, unbelievable. It was a super evocative space, that's for sure. And there was um, different rooms down there as well, not just the big main room. So I thought that was pretty interesting because I didn't actually know what to expect when I first went underneath Town Hall and then and then I got told that it used to be the um, the holding room for people before they would have their court trial, oh, wow. which makes sense why they had different rooms. And then there was even a staircase that went um, up into the ceiling, which had been closed off. So it was a quite a... Kind of, it was very interesting just to imagine how that place has transformed. Yes. Um, it was also quite claustrophobic. Um, but there was a nice draft that came through which kind of made you feel like you were outside but you weren't. How, how, how did the draft get through? Because on one side of the building there's a barred window mm. and I think that was because that would have probably been where they would have unloaded um, like cargo into the underground, uh, into Town Hall. Wow. From, because I'm pretty sure that's where the water, where the water used to come to. But then they then they reclaimed all the land and put in a road. But then I felt and what you were doing with your machine, it, it almost feels a little, your drawing machine, a little sci-fi-esque. Yeah. So to be having those two things existing together, mm. it's um, that's a real trip. Yeah, absolutely. And in, I think something that I found interesting about doing it in that space was that it was close to the, close to the earth, and parts of the machine, like the actual nails that were on the end of the machine, scratching mm. the drawing. Those nails were actually found um, in the ground. Um, just outside of Jeeveston so that they were collected from the earth and then the machine was displayed in this underground space. Wow. Yeah. There's a really intense feeling that comes with that, this, especially the, the scratching, the clawing at the, um, at the metal, at the aluminium. Mm, and there was this, yeah, there was quite an abrasive sound which cut through that environment and it had a bit of an echo which went throughout the other rooms as well so that was quite nice in in terms of um how I chose to sort of set up the space because Ooh. certain rooms were louder and then other rooms were a bit quieter so you could kind of curate it to put different works where the sound would kind of resonate with them differently. Were you able to record that sound at all? Yeah, I did actually. I've got some sound recordings. That, you've just reminded me that I did actually record the sound and I need to do something about that. Oh, my gosh. I'd <laughs> love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, I should play it back again sometime. I need to actually um, I need to revisit that. That would be really interesting. Mm. But... Yeah, yeah. So that machine was was creating um, prints. Well, it was creating m marks on aluminium, which I then printed. 
And that you printed it at the end of the exhibition, was it? I'd done some prints in the lead up to the exhibition as well, which I had exhibited, well, which I hung on the walls underground. And that was another thing that happened by accident because an interesting thing that sort of came out of that by accident was how the scratches on in the printed image, when they were hung on those old worn walls they the print started to blend into the wall and some people actually didn't even see because you know they were in a separate room but they kind of poked their head around the corner then just kept on walking so maybe they didn't even actually take enough time to see to see that there was actually some some prints hanging up there and that was that was kind of cool um but those scratches also kind of resonated with the space because there was um, actual s- scratching on the wall from perhaps people from from a long time ago but also perhaps people who've just, you know, broken in and done some, you know, scratching or but that was wow. interesting. Yeah, it feels like the entire space is almost an ode to mark making. Yeah, people carving in their initials or um, even just traces of just previous exhibitions you know like you know people who've come in to hang something and they've left nails in the in the timber or something it was all those kind of traces kind of echoed back into the into the prints just all all just by chance I I don't know why my mind is going in this direction but when it happens I always feel like I need to follow it down uh, I think it's uh, Dieter Roth. Do, um, do you know he's a, an artist um, long gone now? Mm. Um, but he, I, I was interested by him because he, a, a lot of his work is this documentation. Um, one installation he said he did was that he collected over a, a period of time I haven't looked at it in a long time so I'm fuzzy on the details but uh it collected his rubbish and put it into these um these plastic sleeves and binders and created created a library Mm. of his consumption cool I suppose yeah and I think the reason that that's coming to mind now is that as you're talking about that space it almost does feel like a, a library of yeah, experience. A bit, of a, a bit of a library of time as well. Yes, you know, yes, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really nice connection. So you printed what the machine had drawn. Yeah. And each, each um, work was sort of related to the amount of time that the machine was working for so that the titles you know had the the titles were the time frame what were the sort of um intervals of time anywhere between i think the shortest one was only about 10 minutes and then the longest one was i think it was about five hours and then that, and it was nice to sort of see the variation of prints. Firstly, just to see how they build up over time, and become more and more dense, 
But it was also interesting to see how over time when the machine was working and working, the more marks that it laid down, the harder it became for it to keep on working because it dug those scratches deeper and deeper until it started to get stuck in its own grooves and then it might jam up or skip out or um, just all of those different accidental variations of mark making because you think because it was a really basic design that the machine would just go around and round on on its own axis the whole time but there were so many different variables that just popped up along the way that gave it this kind of organised randomness. I don't think that we were recording at the time. I think we were just talking. But I do remember us discussing this, 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 the machine getting stuck and it's skipping Mm. and how empathetic humans are that we can, this thinking about this machine as a as a creative slave and it's struggling yeah. against the the form and it's and and then and feeling sad feeling um mm. sorry for this machine as it stutters and tries to move forward yeah absolutely and it's it's struggling and trying to move forward due due to its poor design yeah, <laughs> its makeup. Yeah, and and uh, its design, which was colliding these old found materials with these new materials, and then crudely put together to perform a really basic job, which yeah. is that continual cycle of marking in the environment, and how these nails were found in the bush and when you look around the bush, you find so much of our, of our traces laying around out there. It is interesting. There's something, there's a thought that's swirling around in my head and I'm not sure that I can make sense of it either, but this, I was having a conversation with someone recently talking about how we engage with the natural world and just being being in it and looking at it without actively doing something in it mm. seems to be very difficult. So, for example, the the bike trails that are being made at the moment, mm. um, that there's this drive to we're going into nature, we're bringing all of these things with us and we're going to do an activity, mm. you know. It feels... As humans, we have to be doing something in it in order to appreciate it or yeah. in order to want to go there instead of just um, we, we can't just look at it. We have to mm. put something in it to Yeah, or take exper- something from yes, it. Yes, yes, to experience it. It can't just be yeah. witnessed. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I guess I guess that's sort of the main reason why I actually went out to um, those outskirts of Jeeveston in, in the first place because I was really interested in 
what it would look like after the bushfires. Mm. But then what I realised when I was there was how much was how much actually got uncovered from the bushfires because I, did we talk about this last time about how I was how how much I found out there after the bushfires? I think briefly the amount of times that I've listened back to that conglomerate episode and now I'm just I think that we must have spoken about it but let's speak mm. about it again. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, when I went out there, I found a lot which then caused me to learn a lot about the place that I had didn't really know or I just hadn't ever really thought to look into, but it was really interesting. Um, the, the bushfire had uncovered these um, tramways because there used to be wooden tramways in the bush where they would cart the logs on in these little carts and... They, they'd been overgrown. Wow. And then the fire unveiled them again, which was very interesting, along with other things that people had recently put into the bush, like a, like a car skeleton mm. was uncovered or just old tools and nails. and this secret histories. Yeah. So that was very interesting to see all of that re-emergence of waste because it's sort of returns the receipts of our <laughs> own ruin you know it sort of brings them back up to us again yeah I like I like that the <laughs> reading the receipts yeah when um when my son was very very young the first rental it was so difficult in Brisbane to get a rental as a as a single mother with a very young son Mm. um in what we could afford and um finally we found this this it was this set of five brick units Mm. they were incredibly dark just no windows just these five brick units that were up against each other in a row um and out the front there was there a little gate with they were like fortresses, um, huge brick you couldn't see in and then a gate to go in and um, a very, very small garden uh, and it was it was a mess and one day uh, I took Henry out there in this little jumping thing and I cleaned out this garden and layers and golf balls, cans, Mm. layers and layers of trash Mm -hmm. in this garden. And I I think I was really shocked because it did feel like this brick fortress that nothing could get through. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that people had thrown things over the side, whoever had been there before. and the little garden was quite dense as well. And, and just unearthing all of this trash, I, I hadn't expected to find that much mm. of it. Yeah. In this small but dense garden. Yeah, well, it's, it's like how the, the natural environment is almost sweeps it all under the rug for us <laughs> yeah. until it's unveiled again, you know. It's a testament, I think, to its strength. Unbelievable yeah. strength. And when I, when I was um, 
down there doing my honours project, which was in photography, um, I photographed this um, large pit in the ground which had all of this new waste that I saw getting put back in there again. So it was in the very same place in which I found these tramways and the railway spikes and all these old nails. But then there was this big hole that had been dug and I saw someone unloading new trash off the back of their ute into the bush again. Oh, wow. And then that would be covered over. And it now is covered over because I went back there again and it had all been covered up. And that really just um, summed it up, I, th- I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was interesting. This, this idea of, yeah, especially those those tram rails, you know, there's something really special about that. And then something incredibly comical, sadly comical, of this trash being put back in. Mm. Just continuously cycling around and around. So you wrapped up the exhibition in Hobart. Yep. And what uh, what did you go on to do afterwards? I, I feel like you've been very busy yeah. since then. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <that's> <laughs> yeah. No, it's been um been very busy. It's been really really cool as well. It's been I've had a lot of things to do and it's been very exciting but also super exhausting but I've enjoyed every bit of it um so from that exhibition underground which was called tracing impacts that's a good name thanks (laughs) yeah and and that kind of like it, it was relating to the um tracing the impacts of civilization in the environment but also had that kind of wordplay with tracing and, and and the impact and the drawing machine and all those other... Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I also think that when you have two words, two words like that, um, that sounded a bit lame, that's a good name, but tracing, it feels like a very soft and fluid word and then impact. Mm. Mm. Um, it feels nice to say. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought it was all right. An all right time. <laughs> um so one one of the or well, two of the prints from that exhibition um which I displayed as a diptych those two were in in the Glover prize which was really cool You were a finalist Yeah Oh wow congratulations Thanks I had no idea Oh thanks there was some stiff competition. Yeah, it was a really, it was. I, I was really, really pleased to be. Yeah, that's wonderful. A finalist in that. That was. It was. It was very cool. Um, took the prints up to Evandale, and it was a really. Um, it was a good night. It was. It was. A, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Congratulations! Surely, if I had known, I would have been sending you congratulations before. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's okay. I, truly. I, I've been off. Um, I've been off the uh, all the social medias for a while, so I don't. I haven't really been posting. I obviously haven't been posting yeah, anything. It's I've, tough. <laughs> this push and pull with social media. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really tough one. Mm. I did see um, 
a photograph of you and Caitlin on Caitlin's Instagram with, uh, I think it's uh, two of your recent works. Oh, yeah, at, in Cradle Mountain. Yes. Yeah. They, the one in particular had this beautiful um, almost net netting behind oh, some yeah. big uh, severe marks. Yeah. Um, and that that one particularly uh, blew me away. Mm. Like, wow, this is really special. Oh, thank you. So, so I've got an exhibition on at the Crater Mountain Wilderness Gallery at the moment. Um, so that's a solo exhibition in Gallery 3 at the Wilderness Gallery in case you're going to go to Crater Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that exhibition is called Drawn Over and that relates to the act of drawing over. So drawing over something, mm. drawing over a drawing, or just drawing over and, and over. <laughs> um, but that, it's an exhibition of printmaking, uh, dry point prints, drawn with all kinds of different tools like uh, angle grinders, uh, rotary tools, power sanders, uh, scratching with nails, all kinds of things. I use a drill as well at one point. Um, yeah, and I think that that's something, that's why that particular piece was really striking to me because I, what I found so interesting about your work is that you're using these really heavy-duty machinery mm. to make these marks, but then this netting was so delicate and... Yes, just, the, yeah, just the, how delicate it was in and knowing that you use these power tools. Mm. And they, they, those those marks absolutely contrasted in how they were made as well because those big uh, sort of structural marks done with the angle grinder are so expressive and drawn quite quickly. But then that big... Uh, that really fine grid, mm. which was a sort of in, encasing all of those big marks, mm. was was a very slow process to draw that grid. And what what did you use? Nails. I used uh, a rotary tool, which had a very small sort of uh, drill bit in it. Oh wow! Oh <laughs> and so, so that was quite a um, very fiddly project. But I'm okay. but I'm I'm actually really pleased with how that turned out because I um, didn't really uh, – I've, I've usually got no patience at all and I actually um, stuck with it. So that was nice. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Your practice is expanding to include patience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. But um, before – even before Cradle Mountain um, – the uh, I I didn't I made another machine. Did you, you made another did you know? I didn't know. <laughs> so I made another one. Um, I need to see these machines. Yeah, they're on they're on my website. Um, have a have a squeeze. I will. Uh, but this machine was part of Mona Foma, mm -hmm. um, which was in January. Um, so it was a 
project that I did with a detached cultural organisation and Monofoma and Beaker Street Sci Art Walks. I did see something about that, but I didn't know, I didn't realise there was another machine. Yeah, yeah. Is this machine different? How is this machine it's a, different? It's, a, it was a, it was, it's similar, but it's also very different. So the project was called Cultural Burning and it was a collaboration with uh, Billy Payton Clark and Andre Sculthorpe and there was music by... Emily Wuramara. So it was a collaboration with Tasmanian Aboriginal elders and Aboriginal artist Emily Wuramara. And it included a podcast, which was in conversation with Billy Payton Clark and Andre Sculthorpe, and they were experts in um, pyroology, so fire, <laughs> which is a very cool word, I think. Yeah. And they were discussing um, Aboriginal practices of cultural burning and then we were talking about the, the machine in relation to, to that and also how much uh, the environment has changed since cultural burning's not being practised. <sighs> so, so with this machine it was... Um, it was running for three days on the Knocklofty Reserve, just up above Hobart. Oh, it must have been exhausted by the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it was made entirely out of all collected material found on the Knocklofty Reserve. So it was all just old uh, detritus and bits of, long bits of steel, tree branches, wires and, you know, whatever I could find to create the body of the machine. And then it was also solar powered with some panels and a battery which uh, ran the machine from 6am till 8pm at night. And um, it was scratching away on a car bonnet (laughs) and it was really quite interesting because it actually seemed to be cleaning the bonnet because all of (laughs) because all of the layer of rust was being scratched away revealing this nice shiny silver underneath Mm. and that was a complete accident yeah but perfect perfect isn't it Mm. Yeah. Especially in relation to, to cultural burning. Yeah. You know, that, that being a really significant regeneration process. Mm. And um, yeah, absolutely. what a happy accident. Absolutely. And also it's interesting how rust being this protective coating that mm. the metal puts over itself to, to, to withstand the outdoor elements and then for that to be taken off again it restarted that whole process of protection in the Mm. environment and i found that to be a nice little it feels like a a, um a very very painful rebirth for the bonnet (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) 
Absolutely. We'll slowly, slowly be re-exposed to the elements. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And it was interesting also how the work was sort of working with the natural environment in how it was solar-powered and how it had certain parameters in that when it was too cloudy or if it was too cloudy, the machine might stop for a while because the, the battery's not getting enough power or in the, it couldn't run overnight. It had mm. to only start when the sun was up and then stop when the sun came down. So those were some nice natural and uncontrollable parameters around the machine, which was quite nice. But also how I'd get there in the early morning at about 6 a.m., and there was dew on the on the bonnet. Mm. So for the first hour, the machine's m- marks were damp and they were sort of painting with the dew, but then it would all dry up again and then you're back to this really grating sound of these wires just scratching on dry metal. So it did change and evolve over the, over the time of the work. I really like what, what you were talking about with the solar um the solar panel and the parameters that that sets because it feels very in line with natural cycles this unnatural Mm. thing is is following natural cycles and there's something i mean we're we're all at the mercy of those cycles Mm. and there are so many cycles yeah i think there was something really quite beautiful about that and also how I felt like the whole time it was about to fall apart because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really was. And and it was like the machine was sort of digging its own grave for itself because it was repeatedly just scratching backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And eventually the machine did cut out. Uh, and but, but all the way on the lead up to that, bits were falling off it and you know the machine was just changing because an arm would snap or a bit of wire would break off and spray off to the side you know Mm, can't help itself Mm. but it's yeah it's quite quite cruel but yeah that that was a really interesting project to work on i think so so often we when we're performing social experiments, scientific experiments, there there is there is an element of cruelty there. There is suffering that mm. occurs, um, and this situation really no, there was no suffering. You know, I w- mm. we put our own. You know, we like to humanize everything. Yeah. Um, But it, yeah, it feels like a, it. It does almost feel like a social experiment um, mm-hmm. done with the absence of suffering. Yeah, I don't know where my thought process. No, is I, going I, I know what you mean. I... But there was there was an Im- an an impact that was made on the on the environment from the machine because there was this really abrasive sound which would just all of a sudden come on at 6am so something that was happening was I'd arrive there 
and there was wallabies oh. just grazing in the area. And then it would come on. And then and then the machine would come on and then they would get get startled and move away. So I so I was intervening yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the environment. Oh uh, gosh. And but in regards to that sound, it was it was quite interesting how um People would go for this walk from the Knocklofty car park. It was about a 10-minute walk through the bush to get to the machine. So the closer and closer people got, they could start to hear the machine because mm. the this, this sound would just travel through the bush. And it was sort of like um, following your ears in a way. And then you get there and you see what's going on. But... I reckon about half of the, half the people who came to the to see the machine saw it by accident because they didn't actually know that the event was happening. They just they just go for walks there every day mm. and they came across this machine and they were really intrigued by what was going on. But then the other half of were people who you know planned on coming and yeah, but that was interesting, I thought. I'm thinking about a lot of different things about if the machine operated for longer Nature animals are very inherently adaptable. Mm. They would have, they would be, um, they would have to go somewhere else mm. to, to graze, or maybe that they would, uh, f- figure out w- which times it was safe to be in that area or abandon it altogether. Well, I, I think that they they found out that it was pretty safe to be there overnight <laughs> because when I'd arrived, there'd be a couple of times there was little poos on the on the bonnet (laughs) (laughs) i love that i love that so much so they so so they were climbing over the machine yeah expressing their outrage yeah exactly (laughs) exactly oh that's fantastic Mm. but after the machine was after the project was done so when motorfoma was finished um we uh took the machine apart and put all of the waste back into the bush again. So returning all of all of the parts back to where they were. Wow. So so the machine did have a very temporary lifespan. It was just it was an ephemeral machine that was constructed and then taken apart and put back. How did you feel about putting putting the waste back into the land? Yeah, it was it was, it was interesting. It was an interesting um, thing to do when you when you're used to um, having this idea of cleaning up the environment. Mm-hmm. But also, Knocklofty is an interesting place because of the history of it. How it was um, so much work was done there. It was um, after cultural burning practices stopped and um, that space got used for dairy farming and there was dairy sheds up there, there was reservoirs, uh, old fences, there was houses for the workers, there was a road that went uh, um, around there and, and now there's just the, the fire trail for the, for the council and whatnot. <laughs> but um, so it sort of felt as well that all of those parts were kind of also had their place in the history of 
of an philosophy. Hmm. I think to the temporary nature of the work, perhaps if the materials hadn't been put back, that there's something about them being put back that really does solidify this. Um, it, it, it's almost like it didn't happen. It didn't mm. happen at all. Yeah, absolutely. Everything goes back to as as per usual. Like mm. your business is normal. And yeah. I, in terms of in, in terms of art making, I think there is this huge push. You know, I feel like often we're looking for archival paper, archival yeah. ink. It must last a 1,000 years. It's, um, I think that there is something really valuable in creating something that is only to exist for a moment, that yeah. is temporary. Yeah, I agree. I think I agree. it's... Um, I think that that can be reflected in the environment as well. And, and in the in the temporary nature of the work, it's also it feels like it's something that can't be commodified mm. because it, it it exists and doesn't exist. You know, when we're putting all of this emphasis on things lasting, it's I think the focus is because um, sell the work and the person who yeah. is buying the work wants a guarantee that the work is going to be theirs for as long yeah. as they yeah. have it. And it will grow in value yes. over time and it's very it, it'll withstand the time. That... Money-oriented. Mm. So it's um, making temporary works like this is actually quite radical. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, we should wrap up. Sure. I know that you're off travelling for a little while. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that you'll be back in town for the unconformity this year? Uh, what month is it again? Um, is it August? Uh, October. October. This year? No, I don't think we'll be no, back. No, you'll in, be off for... I don't think we'll be back in time for that. No, it's... um. Yeah. Yeah, I don't a think so. A grand adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's going to be a pretty big trip. Hoping to make some work on the road. Um, Find some more nails and wires. Yeah, I'm just, but I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, being, being practical on the road trip as well. So I'm thinking about getting a bit back into my photography, um, which is kind of where, where I feel like a big strength of mine is, but I haven't really been doing a lot of photography lately. So I think I think you know traveling light would be a good excuse to get back into photography because it avoids needing to bring lots of large power tools and big aluminium <laughs> sheets and paper. Absolutely. And so I think this would be a really good time to um, explore some sound recordings and some film and some photography, I'm and, a- and then and then how how that can then tie back into my drawing, mm. or, you know, once I return to Tasmania. I think um, personally I'm a really 
I'm a really big fan of uh, collecting documentation, just um, mm, me too. bearing witness to everything. And it's not necessarily about you know, trying to trying to keep it. I guess it goes back to that um, temporary thing. Well, I'm I'm really looking forward to taking sound recordings in these in these um well wherever we go, but I'm actually interested in um learning how I can have these sounds uh, sort of interpret into the machines, and then how I can have the sound being a parameter of the machines as well. So you know, for example, the the, the sound will turn it on or turn it off or it will it'll make it go quicker or go slower and then how I can work that into like that more rules. Then how I can work that into the installation of the works as well. Hmm. Yeah. So um you're off social media but you have a website? Yes, I have a website. It's uh timcode.com https double forward slash what is it i forgot um but yeah i've i'm pretty nerdy about that so i keep it pretty well pretty well updated yeah that's actually something that i have noticed about your website is that you've you're probably the or maybe Josh, maybe Josh oh, yeah. Sanisfudo. Yeah. I think the two, two of you guys are pretty on top of your website. Yeah. And you guys are the only artists that I've met. They're on top of it. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think it's important, especially because I don't, I don't have anything floating around the scroll on, <laughs> on Instagram lately. So I, so I hope people are, are looking at the website to see what's going on, but it's okay if you're not. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> Um, do you think that you'll be updating on your website about your upcoming adventure or are um, you going to hold it all and, and wait? I think I might hold it all and wait. Oh, I like that. Because, I, well, because I, I've, I've got a, a lot of, um, sort of plans for when I return to Hobart. So I've kind of, um, I, I... I want to sort of, um, yeah, have stuff up my sleeve. Well, <laughs> I think so. Basically, your website, and if people see you around Australia, mm. they can say hi, say hello, yeah. <laughs> and maybe what we should do is uh, get together next year. Mm. and unpack all of the amazing stuff that you've collected. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be very cool. Oh, I forgot to mention, um, I've got to squeeze in one more exhibition before we go. <gasps> um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really quite cool. I'm, I'm, I've got a printmaking exhibition coming up with um, an array of very cool printmakers. It's, uh, it's with... Uh, Michael Schlitz, um, Raymond Arnold uh, from from Queenstown, uh-huh. and um, Jan Hogan. She teaches at the art school, um, 
Antonia Atkin. It's a um, whole bunch of amazing humans. Yeah, there's I'm, I haven't got a list in front of me, but there's there's um a lot of printmakers that I'm really excited to be working with. So we've got an exhibition through um, Maze Space, which is a gallery based in Sydney, and that's going to be an online exhibition, which which will eventually, in two thousand and twenty two be exhibited in in Hobart wow so Fantastic. um and that project relates to um the idea of uh distance and being at a distance and all kinds of connotations that may come mm. from that in relation to printmaking and the um environment that we're in mm. and um when when is that I'm not actually sure. <laughs> well, when you find out, let me know. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do. But um yeah, that's gonna be that's that should be pretty fun. Yeah. Looking forward to making a couple more prints before I go. I just feel like as we're talking, I just keep I topics of conversation come up and I think, oh well now I want to ask you about how you feel about art existing in a digital space. Mm. We have been talking for over an hour. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. <laughs> no, it just, it just means that, um, yeah, there's going to be a part two, three, four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to to unravelling whatever we get up to on the road. Mm. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I can't wait to see it all. Mm. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been fun. It's been nice. This is Local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat, nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Gortz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or localthepodcast on Facebook and Instagram.